Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. I'm your host, Katie Fogarty. Beauties, if you are tuning into this show, there is a good chance that you are in the thick of perimenopause or are firmly in the menopause and beyond camp. And if that's you, you are in a very good club. In fact, you are in a gigantic club. One might even say a massive club. Every year across the globe, 25 million women enter menopause. I'm not even gonna attempt to do the math. You get the picture. There are a lot of us. Despite the fact that so many women are in menopause, too many women struggle to find information on how to navigate this natural phase of life. Here at a certain age, we've done 40 plus shows on menopause, and we are exploring this today from a fresh angle, focusing on how Ayurvedic healing principles, nutrition choices, and alternative modalities can help us manage symptoms. And we are exploring this with a total pro. Our guest today is a menopause education and advocacy OG. She is a double board certified practitioner of obstetrics and gynecology and integrative medicine. She is the senior medical advisor to Kindra, a menopause care company. She is the healthcare correspondent for the Drew Barrymore Show, and she is the author of one of the Bibles of menopause care, the Menopause Bootcamp. She is Dr. Suzanne Gilbert Lenz, and I am so delighted she is with us today. Welcome, Suzanne. Oh my gosh, I'm blushing. <laughs> I'm excited. I have been following you on social media for ages. We've had the pleasure of meeting very quickly in person at the the Swell uh, Menopause, New Pause Menopause Symposium last October during, you know, International Menopause Month. I am so thrilled to connect with you for the show and to just, you know, get into all the things with you. So thank you for being here. Uh, so my first question, it's it's a biggie. Uh, you know, menopause is inevitable, but but suffering doesn't have to be, right? You know, you right. are an expert in traditional medicine and the benefits of HRT, but you also believe, I know from following you, that there's a happy medium between traditional medicine and alternative therapies like Ayurvedic healing practices, herbal remedies, diet. I think that many menopausal women don't know about Ayurveda healing and how it can help manage symptoms of menopause. And I would love for you to do some stage setting and let us know, you know, what is Ayurveda and what is the link between Ayurveda and, med- and menopause? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, and thanks for for giving me the platform to talk about it, because um, Ayurveda is not as well known in the West as Chinese medicine is. They grew up around the same time in India instead of China, about five, 6,000 years ago. So it is the indigenous um, medical paradigm for that region. And it's really considered by many to be sort of the original lifestyle medicine because it looks at what are considered the pillars of health and addresses them both from a macro perspective in terms of everything from community, environment, season, season of life, season of the year, to the micro, the actual individual. It's an individualized approach. It is not a one-size-fits-all approach. So conventional Western medicine, which, you know, is, look, I've been, I've been working in, I'm a physician for graduated medical school, I don't know, a million years ago. So I've been practicing 24 years. Um, so I, I love Western medicine. I appreciate it. I'm a surgeon. I, you know, it's a miracle, but it it is very much problem, solution, problem, solution, right? Um, in general, 
And what I love about Ayurveda is that we have a much bigger picture and we're also applying lots of tools to the individual at that present moment. And I know that sounds really wild and overwhelming. <laughs> no, it sounds intriguing. It's, it is intriguing. How I think most people don't realize Ayurveda has seeped into a lot of Western med spas, uh, spas in general, uh, beauty care without people realizing it. So anybody who bought ashwagandha in last year, that's an Indian herb. That is one of the most important Ayurvedic herbs. Um, if you've had, there's certain, a lot of spas are doing a lot of spa treatments, but yoga, yoga is a branch of Ayurveda. Meditation is a branch of Ayurveda. So these things that we're doing to de-stress and to be in our bodies in a specific, more healthful way are things that have been borrowed from Ayurveda. And, um, you know, Ayurveda itself is a complete system. It's very complex. I think for people who want to understand more about it, I talk about it in the book and there's obviously much better ways to learn about it. But I think it's the idea, again, of how we are connecting with our own selves at that moment and then using the tools available to us in our specific environments or communities is very, very, very important. I love this notion you know, of moment, um, Suzanne, too, because, I, you know, this show is about midlife. It, it, I, I am 54 my guests are firmly in midlife. My audience is there too. And I think that one of the things that happens when we get to life is we realize that we're not the same person we were yesterday yeah. and we're not going to be the same person tomorrow, right? Like yeah. there, we, we exist on a sort of a continuum that sort of moves along. And, and it, to have medicine that focuses on or a healing modality that focuses on exactly where you are today instead of putting this like big blanket umbrella, like you're a woman, like this must apply to you all. You know, yeah. women go through menopause at different times and different ages and physical stages. So to, to And they're entering into menopause in a different state, right? Everybody isn't coming into menopause in the same exact health state or or mind space or anything else. So, you know, I don't want to make it too complicated, but to me, I agree with you. That is one of the beautiful and beauties of this particular perspective, and that is taking what's around you and, and actually like kind of just being more in reality, to be perfectly honest, because the only thing that I, um, I wouldn't say I don't like, but I think one of the, the things we have to be careful with about um, the conversation that we're having about hormone therapy, which as you know, I'm a big advocate for yes. is again, if, if every, if the tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So I just want people to have the widest toolkit possible and the most the most opportunities available to them and a lot of these things are things that we can do on our own the other really really important principle in ayurveda is the notion that we always are going to address the health of the mind and the health of the gut no matter what you come in with let's say you come in and you just want to be maintaining the healthy life that you already have maintaining the the wonderful health that you have we're going to address your gut and we're going to address your mind. That's the way I was trained. If you come in with a particular medical issue or a diagnosis, we're going to address the gut and we're going to address the mind, which is really, really interesting. I think given the fact that now the microbiome and gut health and how gut health has such an incredibly important impact on essentially every single part of our body, our minds and our health, like that's now the rage, right? Well, I mean, in Ayurveda, they were talking about that 6,000 years ago. Without the 
tools of modern science. It's pretty fascinating. It's totally I, I fascinating. Came, it's yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I came to it, honestly, <clears throat> out of just like um, curiosity. I was doing yoga. I started meditating. A teacher of mine in an offhand, but not offhand way said, you know, Ayurveda, I think you should check it out, <laughs> basically. And I was very, um, I was a new doctor. I just, you know, finished residency. Um, I was in my first practice, just trying to, you know, figure it out, get my feet wet, had two little kids. You know, you can imagine I was like a stressed out maniac. And, um, <laughs> and she mentioned this to me and I was off to the races and it was so interesting. And so I just was really studying it for my own personal interest. And then I just started seeing like how huge this impact was having on me and on my patients. Cause it started getting out there like, Hey, this doctor's open-minded. She's, you know, she's curious. She's not going to judge you about being a vegan or about doing acupuncture. I mean, this is, you know, a while ago, right? Like everybody wasn't doing this. Um, I love that. Curi- I love that curiosity was your guide too, because that, you know, always, you know, curiosity um, brings us to so many new cool spaces and open doors. And, you know, I know from reading your book, uh, I'm so glad that you brought up the gut because I know that from reading your book that you say your gut is calling a lot of our healthcare shots, which I think yeah. is something that makes so much sense. But we don't always, you know, in, in sort of a Western um, you know, civilization, don't always appreciate that. So maybe it's just kind of as a, to sort of expand this. What is the gut microbiome like menopause connection? Well, that's an amazing question that we don't totally understand. There is something called the estrobloom that we do understand that we, that there is, there is a major influence um, and it's, it's bi-directional or multi-directional between our hormonal status and our gut microflora. So just to, you know, like stop for a moment and explain what that is. I think a lot of your, your listeners probably have been reading about this, but the microbiome is just sort of the um, microscopic organisms that are living in various ecosystems in your body. Your, our bodies are literally an ecosystem. Like we, and you know, there's probably more bacterial cells than like cells that originate from you in your body. Like we are symbiotic with bacteria. That's, that's how, that's part of how we all survive on the planet. It's pretty amazing, but there's different bacterial populations that live in your mouth, in your nasal cavity, on your skin superficially, in the vaginal canal, in your gut. And the gut in particular is the site of probably the largest amount of bacteria, but also the origin of a lot of our neurotransmitters, a lot of our uh, immune system and hormones. And so these these are all just um, chemical messengers. They're ways of our, our body talking to itself and directing traffic, right? Making things happen. Um, so hormones influence the gut microbiome and vice versa. You know, when I wrote the book, I reached out to some of the preeminent scientists in, in the field <laughs> and this Dr. Emron Mayer, who's at UCLA, and we had an amazing conversation and I, you know, we talked about this and he was like, yes, yes, yes. And I said, so how, how does it work? He's like, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like that I mean, he was, I like that he was honest. <laughs> yeah. So it's in development. I mean, there's, there's, there's obvious. Um, and I think, again, when we remind ourselves to pay attention to our body and to listen to our body and that our body is talking to us and, and we, we know how we feel. 
that's really, really powerful stuff. One of the things that is going on in the menopause niche community, it's not such a niche, but in the community is this idea of women and humans who are going through this experience, taking charge of the experience and not allowing themselves to be dismissed any longer. And it's really the same thing as gut instinct in a way, right? Yes. Like if you like, so I don't think there's a person that I have talked to and my, my personal experience as well, who hasn't had changes in their digestion around the transitional times, the perimenopause itself with, with your cycle. And certainly once you get through menopause, like it's not just the weight gain thing, which is like a whole other conversation, but people's digestion shifts and changes. And that is a direct result, probably at least in part of the shift in the bacteria that are living in our gut. And for sure, the hormones have something to do with that. It's just not 100% clear what that is. Dr. Suzanne, we're heading into a quick break, but when we pick this back up, I want to talk about what do you recommend feeding this ecosystem, you know, in our gut? How do we, how do we uh, use food, nutrition? What kind of dietary choices can we make that can help us improve our gut microbiome? We're back from the break. When we headed into it, we talked about this sort of beautiful uh, imagery that you use that our bodies are like our own ecosystem, right? And I love this notion that we are like our own world in some way. Yeah. You, you talked about some of the science is still unclear about the link between how, you know, what we're putting into our gut microbiome and the menopause connection. But, you know, I think there is more clarity around um, things like, you know, you said neurotransmitters. I, I had the pleasure of having Dr. Annie Fenn on the show, who is, mm-hmm. wrote the book, The Brain Health Kitchen, and talked about the importance of eating in a way that that fuels our gut microbiome and, you know, and prevents things like, um, you know, oxidative uh, molecules from from moving from our gut microbiome, you know, microbiome and, and, and breaking the sort of the brain blood barrier. Mm-hmm. From your expertise is in menopause, it's in women's health. What do you see as nutritional choices that help us um, fuel better health during this phase of life? I mean, it's it's really all the same things that, that everybody talks about. But I think when we're uh, filtering it through this lens, we, we understand it a little bit differently. So the thing is, we really have to understand what what we want to be growing in there and what they want to eat, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> Are they, so they're so, not always the same thing, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, yeah. Because, okay, so for instance, if people have noticed that there's like, now there's this new thing people are talking about prebiotics and then there's probiotics. Okay, so probiotics are actually, the they are the microbes, they are the bacteria. So you can buy high quality probiotics over the counter I think a lot of people know like, hey, if you're taking antibiotics, you may want to consider taking probiotics because the antibiotics are going to kill not just the bacteria that you don't want, but bacteria that you do want. Or when you talk about like um, vaginal health, uh, genitourinary syndrome of menopause, um, actually there are some beneficial bacteria, namely specific species of lactobacillus that shift and change as our estrogen levels decline. So the estrogen levels decline, the pH changes in the um, vagina and the urinary tract. And so consequently, what lives there is different. And so there are, there are really robust studies showing that putting the bacteria that you want back in that region, it can be very, very helpful. But those, those guys also got to eat. So that's what prebiotics are. Prebiotics are what the bacteria that we want to live need to live. So things like, this is where fermented foods, fiber are really, really important. 
it's not just for the things that you might think. Like, I think when people think of fiber, they think of like pushing, you know, the poop out essentially and cleaning the gut out, which is, is partly true, but it's also feeding the good bacteria that are helping your gut to continue to function well, right? And if your gut is functioning well, your gut is able to absorb the nutrients that you need, like the vitamin D that you took and put it into the cells for cellular work, like the magnesium, like the B complex, like all that, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, all so that good think, stuff. It's it's yeah. Like, I think that the fiber prebiotic thing is is really really important, and it becomes more important as we're aging. Um, you know, from the Ayurvedic perspective, it's a much more complex situation because, as I mentioned, it would also be partly related to the what your individual constitution is coming into this, and then it's affected by the the change of life that we are expect we are undergoing, which changes our constitutions in some ways. Um, if somebody, so, Suzanne, um, if somebody wanted to analyze their own unique situation, you know, how do you recommend that they go about doing that? Because um, I, I hear what you're saying, right? Like, yeah, there's not yeah. a one size fit all, fits yeah. all solution for most things. So, if yeah. so, would they work with an Ayurvedic practitioner? Yes, they could work with an Ayurvedic practitioner, and if they um, want to find somebody legit, because um, training in this country is is different and a little bit all over the place. It's tightening up a little bit. It's not licensed in this country like Chinese medicine is. But the uh, National Ayurvedic Medical Association, NAMA, is a great place to go to find like really legit um, practitioners and, and leaders in the field. And there are online quizzes, but I would go to bigger places like National Organization of um, uh, uh, National Ayurvedic Medical Association or Chopra. Um, great. Uh, this is a great tip. I'm also going to just add the tip of buying your book because you cover a lot of this uh, sort of material. You know, the menopause boot camp is definitely something that people should check out. So, you know, because it's interesting because you definitely ex you, you take this this ancient practice of medicine and, and lifestyle. And, and we've covered it a little bit on the show. I had the great pleasure of having Raina Kumra come on the show, who Wonderful. is the founder of the uh, company Spicewell, which mm -hmm. is a series of um, sort of optimized spices. That it's like a plant and uh, it's, it's a pepper and salt that has 30 different kinds of um, dried um, spices in it, and it's based on her, you know, Ayurvedic uh, household that she grew up in, and it's just kind of a cool thing. So we've covered this a little bit, but we haven't yeah. talked about it in relation to menopause, which is something that all of my listeners are either have experienced or will experience. And I yeah. want to ask you specifically about kind of menopause's buzziest, most talked about symptom, which is hot flashes, right? And I sometimes yeah. joke they have an excellent PR agent because they are synonymous with menopause. Yeah. Um, I know there are many, many other symptoms. We've covered them on the show. But are there plant-based choices that listeners who are struggling with hot flashes can consider making? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So here's the thing. <clears throat> you know, I'm I'm because I come from a conventional background, I really do believe in, you know, using evidence-based approaches as much as possible. It's a lot harder to do that when you're talking about the more natural holistic solutions. I do want to point out though, that probably 30% of pharmaceuticals come from the plant world. Like, where do you guys think the medicine comes from? I mean, indigenous people, humans have always made medicine out of what's available. Right. So do people actually think that pharmaceutical companies dropped off out of the sky and just started making medicine? No, they're stealing. Well, look at penicillin, from, right? <laughs> Penicil isn't penicillin mold. a great example of that? I mean, it was like, it's yeah. a, based yeah. on a mold, which is it's not, a mold. it wasn't right. invented. It was, you know. But as, you know, aspirin is from willow bark, right? So this is something that people borrowed from indigenous culture. It's just, it's how we find. So I just want people to understand, like, 
when 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 some of my colleagues out there get a little heated about snake oil and holistic and blah, 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 buzzwords and predators and blah, 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 blah. and I'm not saying that none of that's going on, but also they are failing to really understand the history of medicine and science. So I just wanted to bring that little point in and it's something to think about. So there, when you look at studies into plant-based solutions, they are never going to be as robust as pharma. They just, they don't have the power. They don't have the money. They don't have the, and I when I mean power, they don't have the scientific power because they're not usually looking at thousands of people. They're looking maybe at hundreds of people. And so also there I aren't studies because people don't, pat, you can't patent broccoli, right? You know, or you're not. Well, patent, right. I mean, broccoli, so. like a whole food. Yes. That's going to be hard. Those, I mean, there are studies on some of these things, but they're looking at them. They're either purifying or amplifying one little portion of the broccoli, the sulfuranes, or they are like uh, observational studies. Like the person who ate broccoli, this happened. And the person who didn't, that happened. So those quality, the quality of those studies is different. They're not as good, but there are some really, there's some good supportive data specifically with hot flashes for black cohosh. And no, it is not going to kill your liver. The The problem, the quote, issues with liver toxicity were uh, related to other things. Those were case reports. And I think that um, it, they have been mis misrepresented by some people. So I think that the data on black cohosh is quite good. Um, how do you, and how do you consume black cohosh? I've never heard okay. of it. Is it a tea? So here's, or? The, here's the thing with, with these solutions. I am super picky because I want people to not just like go to the market and randomly get random black cohosh. Um, first of all, anytime you're buying one of these products, I think you should make sure, look at the bottle, or if you're buying online, make sure they are third-party tested. In other words, another organization has tested to make sure that what you think you're buying is in there and it's not adulterated, contaminated, or anything else. That's super important. With Remy, with uh, black cohosh, the brand that I really like the best, it's called Remy Femin. And it's a um, German company and they've done lots of studies on this and the directions will be on the bottle, okay? So it'll tell you what to do. You're basically taking it twice a day. And studies have shown that people will notice about a 50% reduction in their hot flashes, which can be really, really significant for people. Um, so that's probably my favorite. There are a lot of the soy isoflavones. So basically the plant-based um, estrogen mimickers um, red, red clover is one of them. Um, consuming soy specifically is not it, right? Like, again, you've got to be, uh, amplifying the effect. So you need to be actually getting it encapsulated or something like that. Um, those are, I don't find them to be as effective to be perfectly honest. And, um, I mean, for, for hot flashes, those are kind of my favorite pycnogenol, uh, which is French marine pine bark also has some really robust data. A lot of these plants do more than one thing, but specifically for hot flashes, these are these are, these are things that I like. These are great tips. And I also appreciate you're talking about third-party testing and making sure that, um, you know, that, that you're, you're buying a product that is being, um, you know, reinforced by somebody else's perspective. And that, that tip was actually shared earlier on the show by uh, Dr. Melina Jampolis, the author of the okay. book, Spice Up and Live Long, and when yeah. she talked about supplements, too, she also echoed that. And she said, make sure you're buying products that have third-party testing. So thank you for yeah. reinforcing that. Yeah. So, yeah. Dr. Suzanne, another enormous you know, challenge with menopause is interrupted sleep. 
I, I myself yeah. never had hot flashes. I don't know how I got so lucky. I used to, I, I joke sometimes that I had toxic rage instead. So like I had my own like <laughs> volcanic things happening. But sleep is something that I haven't. I, I don't. I don't know a single woman who doesn't have sleep issues. This is a big yeah. menopause symptom, and we all know that that is foundational to feeling like yourself, feeling good, keeping the train on the tracks. You know, keeping the like the mood swings at bay. Um, you know, night sweats, hormonal fluctuations, hot flashes do a number on our sleep. You know, are there specific food choices beyond what you just shared that we could be making to bolster better sleep? I mean, I think we all know to, to avoid caffeine and alcohol bef- before bed, but are there food choices yeah. throughout our day that contribute to sleep that you have any kind of data or studies to share? It, it is so hard. This is, I think this is actually the, for me as a physician, this is the hallmark people coming in with disturbed sleep. Some of which by the way, are like are stealthy hot flashes. Like people may not even realize they're getting warm or they may have a version of it that is like heart palpitations and they're just waking up and they're not feeling that part of it, but that part woke them up. So I will say that for people that are suffering with sleep interruption, and that's pretty much everybody. And as you know, it's generally not falling asleep. It's staying asleep. Yes. <laughs> um, it, it or is, it's both. It I have both sometimes. <laughs> I'm going to go with, well, fall, I'm going falling with asleep, both. Falling yeah. asleep is weirdly easier to deal with because there, there are things you can do in terms of your sleep hygiene and um, relaxation right beforehand. Yes. But um, you know, and there's a lot of mood and anxiety stuff that can play into that as well, including the waking up, because if you wake up and you can't get back to sleep because you start going through your to-do list and getting nervous and jacked up about everything in your life, like that's going to contribute. So the, the, I think what I'm trying to say is it's generally multifactorial and it is one of the hardest things to, uh, to deal with, to be perfectly honest. So usually I will look at hot flash management, even if people don't think they're having hot flashes, because they might, as I said, you know, have something that they're not totally connecting that way. Um, and the nighttime routine is a really big deal. Um, you mentioned like obviously caffeine in the, even the later half of the day and alcohol, any alcohol, alcohol at all, honestly, like I'm not here to be a party pooper. <laughs> I had two glasses of wine at dinner last night with my best friend. We were celebrating our birthday. I really don't drink very much. I really don't drink anymore because yeah. it just is such a disaster that it's just not really worth it. Well, you're um, not a party, but you're not the only, I've heard that from multiple doctors on the show. It's not fun. Right. It's not fun anymore. Right. It's, 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 it seems like it'd be fun. But the sleep is rough, man. I will say sleep hygiene is a big thing. And and I think we all know what it is and most of us are not doing it. And so that is everything from really those screens need to be off an hour before. And some people even advocate for like no blue light in the evening. I think that's pretty extreme. I'm not sure how we're doing that, but um, that's a big one. You know, morning things, your, your morning routine is going to impact your nighttime. So getting up fairly consistently, getting some sunlight, even if it's just, you know, in a window because it's winter or if you're in an area where it's dark a lot, like getting those lights, um, getting your vitamin D in, getting movement and exercise in on a daily basis earlier in the day. And, you know, not eating for two to four hours before bedtime, because I think that there's some indication that we probably have some normal blood sugar fluctuations, but they might start to disturb us more in the middle of the night. 
Mm, um, after interesting. that, you know, look, sleep. Ugh. Yeah, these are such There's great a- tips. These are such great tips. And, you know, you're right. We know them, but we don't always put them into practice. So this is such yeah. an excellent reminder. We need to remind ourselves about what we need to be doing. So I, I thank you for that. Quick you're question. Welcome. You know, I, I was talking about my volcanic fury, my toxic rage, which I am going to share did, you know, subside because I think it was kind of like a perimenopause thing when I was really yeah. like all over the map. And once I was firmly, firmly in menopause, some of that just, you know, kind of fixed itself. But I also did stuff like sleep hygiene. You know, I'm trying to be good about reading before bed, blue light, you know, blocking glasses, having a bit more of a routine. And I I do think that helped. But what are your other recommendations besides, you know, just getting into bed early and screens that could help manage, I know that's sleep related, but to manage menopause and mood, because that is really a challenge for Mm -hmm. women. And I, Mm -hmm. I truly believe that women don't talk about it as much as they talk about things like, you know, painful sex. And, you know, that feels so mm-hmm. intimate. But you're more willing mm-hmm. to say I've got dry vagina than you're willing to say, like, I've got toxic rage and was, like, so inappropriately angry at my children. So yeah. help yeah. us out here. Because, you know, people people have these mood swings. What, 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 Absolutely. What can we be doing? And we're, we're starting to really see more of a conversation in general about mental health, which is fantastic. But also there's a really a really large amount of data accumulating around midlife mood changes and how impactful they are. And I, we see them often starting, as you mentioned, in perimenopause with our hormone fluctuations. I think when we're menstruating, if we're menstruating, and we kind of can predict, you know, what symptoms we're having at different parts of the cycle, it's a lot more manageable when things start to get much more unpredictable, like maybe you didn't have any mood swings in terms of PMS, or maybe you had two or three days before your period. Now it's the entire second half of your cycle or you're skipping cycles and it's going on for three weeks. You know, this is what- It's like an eternity. (laughs) Yeah, and you don't know when it's gonna end because you don't know when the period's coming, you don't know what's going on, you don't know if if it is your hormones, if it is your life. And then on top of it, might I add that your life is changing. People at midlife are tired. They're exhausted. They're under pressure. They have a lot of responsibilities. Um, And they're also maybe a little bit exhausted by being um, a female-bodied human on this planet and just dealing with the bullshit, sorry, that we deal with for decades and decades. You start kind of getting fed up (laughs) and then add to it that you're not sleeping. So you know, and a pandemic. Not, Don't forget the pandemic that was oh in there God. during like, you know, there was a lot. There's been a lot going yeah. on over the last few years. And, and a lot of it's and not good. A, <laughs> yeah. And there's always a lot going on. So right. I think sometimes we start to our resilience starts to deteriorate, to be honest. And some of it's hormonal and some of it is not. But I will say that this is another area where like lifestyle medicine can really, really shine. So, again, creating some kind of a a self-care routine, whether that's um, meditation, journaling, some kind of morning, or at some point during the day, taking some time for yourself. We're all very busy, but we we have choices that we can make. You know, we can make a choice to devote five minutes to ourselves for quiet breathing. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, surgeon with a full-time practice and multiple careers and was a single mom for, you know, a a while. Like I'm not trying to shame anybody, but I'm just saying like, if I could give myself two minutes, I'm pretty sure you can. And so some of it is also just stopping and making the conscious choice. So I really am a big fan of, of some kind of meditative practice 
it, it has been shown repeatedly to decrease blood pressure, increase oxygen flow, and really have a big impact on our nervous system and neurotransmitters. It's just, it, it's, it's free, it's available. There's a million YouTube videos on breathing, on meditation, on whatever. I think starting your day or ending your day or both are gonna have a massive impact, okay? This is not gonna take away your financial stress, your children driving you nuts, your boss being toxic, but <laughs> it's gonna ground you again. We're getting back into it, into that present moment because that's honestly only the only thing you really have. I love so this message this so much because I, you know I think that um, I, I don't want to make too many gendered assumptions, but like women are often just giving, giving, giving to yeah. other people, and they don't prioritize themselves. And so the the more that the medical community gets behind this message of like meditation, yoga, these sort of lifestyle choices yeah. as being medically sound and smart tools to add to your toolkit. I think women give themselves permission to do these things then because it's not. There, there's reams of data on this. Right. It really is. I love that the you're sharing thing, this message. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share the message because I feel evangelical about it. I mean, the other thing that I really want people to know is that everything does not have to be expensive and out of reach. Like there's this, a lot of this is stuff that you can, is free and available on the internet, you know? So, and, and you don't, you don't do yoga or it's expensive. You can't let it, you can stretch, you can, you can, you know, you can make a foam roller out of, you can make a roller out of a, of a blanket and stretch at the end of the day. You there's so much the free yoga also it. on YouTube too. I mean, there's yes. this wonderful yep. free yoga. I love that. YouTube is magic. It is yeah. magic. There's tons of great so, stuff. So don't, so but don't get your medical advice there necessarily. You can get no, your, no, you I'd can get your yoga from there. That. All right, Dr. Yeah. Suzanne, I've got one last question before we move into our speed round. I really want to cover this. Um, because, you know, we're moving into Heart Health Month and this is coming out. I follow you on social media. I've seen that one of your favorite herbs is mint. And I think of mint as helping with anxiety and sleep and being a tea. But you also share that there's some indication that it might be cardioprotective, which I thought was really fascinating. Um, you know, I know that cardiac health for women is impacted by menopause. We need to be doing a lot of things to take care of our, our, our cardiac health and, you know, maybe working with a, a doctor of that specialty is one. But what are other Ayurvedic principles that we should be incorporating to better care for our heart health? Oh, my gosh. I mean, well, again, the Ayurvedic perspective on that is a little complex. But in general, what I will say is a lot. And I know you've had other authors on. But one of the beautiful things about Ayurveda is the use of household spices and herbs in cooking and in food and how they interact together. So a lot of the, the cooking herbs that we use have antioxidant properties and so those are going to have a direct or an indirect um, impact on heart health so we know that pretty much all of the big ones you know whether it's diabetes heart disease cancer autoimmune disorders all have um at some part of the pathology is inflammation again this is accepted scientifically in conventional science as well and so a multi-layered approach of bringing antioxidants into our daily practices in our diet is going to benefit blood flow essentially, right? So um, we don't always understand when we're looking at a whole herb, it's not always clear what part is doing what, but mint does this. And actually, you know, marjoram, thyme, oregano, basil, they all have similar properties that are also, uh, by the way, a lot of antibacterial impact. So it's not exactly clear what that, what part might be impacting what, 
but these are all things you can easily bring into your lifestyle. And they're also like relaxing. The other thing about it, and it's a subtle but profound impact is the idea of us interacting with the environment, with the planet, with nature, reminds us that we are not separate from nature. We are part of nature. And that's sort of a holistic principle, which I think is both spiritually and mentally and psychologically um, it's, it's kind of, for me, it's very relieving. It's very grounding. It connects you. I mean, when we were talking about the mental health aspect, which has a big impact on our heart health, um, you know, we know that loneliness has been shown to be more dangerous to our health than smoking cigarettes. So taking time for ourselves is really important, but taking time to connect is really important. I love and that. if we're connecting with something bigger than ourselves and we're connecting with other human beings, it's not selfish. It is health promoting. Totally. So make a phenomenal, gigantic salad and sprinkle your basil all over it and have it with a friend. <laughs> and your mint. Exactly. And invite a friend over. And, yeah. and, and enjoy it with a friend or enjoy a walk. I love that so much. Um, all right. This has been so fun. I could talk to you forever, but we are moving into our speed round. This is just okay. one to two word answers to end. Um, so let's, let's do this thing. I could talk about this menopause topic again and again. Oh, um, plant medicine. We are in the cold winter months. What is a menopause-friendly tea to add to our routine? Oh, um, ginger and turmeric. Yum. All right. This menopause-friendly food is always in my grocery cart. Um, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts. Nice. I stock my pantry with this superhero spice. Pepper. You've written an incredibly comprehensive and well-regarded book on menopause, The Menopause Bootcamp. What is another book, podcast, or resource you think our listeners should check out? Oh, oh my God, but I have too many. <laughs> I have too many. All of my friends' books, all of my friends' books. Sorry, okay. I, I can't. I get I mean, it. I get it. There's too many. There's so many good there's ones. too many. There are too many. <laughs> Just hit, hit, exactly. All right. I've got a I bunch. Mean, in Kelly this... Casperson's work. I love Mary that. Claire Haver's work, Vonda Wright's work, Sharon Malone's work, uh, Rachel Rubin's work, uh, Heather Hirsch's work. Uh, Corinne Men doesn't have a book she should. I've had... <laughs> Every one of those um, women on the show, except for for a doctor, was it Hirsch that you said? I need to, yeah, I, I got to get yeah. her on my list. Okay. Um, all right. How about this one? This might be a little bit easier. Even doctors need to work on their well-being. This lifestyle choice or hack helps me fuel inner peace. Oh, protecting my sleep. Ooh, I love it. I love it. I love it. So important. Okay. Finally, your one word answer to complete this sentence. As I age, I feel. More me. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. This was so fun. I'm so glad yes. we got to connect. I so appreciate your time. I know you're, you're so busy. I loved uh, hearing all your information. I'm super inspired to dive even deeper and incorporate a lot of your practices. But before we say goodbye, how can our listeners keep following you and your work? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I'm most active on Instagram, but the best thing to do is go to my website and then you'll just find like absolutely everything I do, my boot camp, my certification, all my socials. So that's thedrsuzanne.com with no punctuation. Phenomenal. That's going into my show notes. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. Before I say goodbye, a quick favor. Last time I checked, we were three, just three reviews away from reaching 200 Apple Podcast reviews. Did you learn something on today's show? Do you feel smarter, more informed, more supported? If so, please take five minutes to write a short review over on Apple Podcasts. 
every review helps other women find the show. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time, and until then, age boldly, beauties.